0: Welcome, Welcome to the, to the Recombobulator, Recombobulator Lab with Jason, Jason Graham and Chris and Dominic. All right. We're on. Hooray. How are you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I you am fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, well, right. I didn't want to have that. You know, the problem is when you grab the glass of water, if you don't do the little mute button, it sounds like this.
0: Yeah. All right. Oh yeah. Right? It so like you, you gotta you gotta
1: learn to do this. Here goes, ready? <laughs> You're an idiot. No, <laughs> anyway. I know, but I mean, it works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, good to see you again and hear you again. Um, today, we've got Dr. Ryan Takagi on, uh, and we're going to talk all about concussion. And it's a, an area that Chris and I have been interested in, both from, a you know, we're both big sports fans. Uh, we both got kids. I have one child who has had repeated concussion. So I'm super curious to uh, learn more about it. So Dr. Ryan Takagi, good to meet you.
2: Good to meet you. Nice to be on. Nice to meet you guys.
0: Thank you. Uh-huh. And just some background. So you're currently a PhD candidate in mechanical engineering from UBC, but prior to that, chiropractor and a nutritionist. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Wow. You guys Fantastic. are competing for who has the most degrees. That's like oh, that's, that's bonkers.
0: No. No. <laughs> um, and to really, to really, um, you know, looking at if we just start actually with the PhD because you're one year in. Um, what's the what's what area you're interested in?
2: Yeah. um, So based off some of my clinical work, uh, an interest in uh, persistent symptoms after concussion started to develop. So I'm interested in that. And then specifically, what role sleep plays in the persistence of symptoms?
1: Oh, that's very interesting. That's fascinating. That's really good.
0: Chris, do you want to dive in?
1: Well, I was just thinking, you know, I saw this terrible, this is this is like the grimmest way to start, but one uh this morning our episode on the MMA's. Uh, I listened to that this morning and I remember thinking like oh, the timing couldn't be better because we got to ask Ryan like about the MMA. And then second of all, I uh, I thought there's this uh NFL player who uh they just ruled a suicide this morning he's like 50 years old and he died from a uh from you know taking a combination of pills and this again this is super grim but one of the things that i've i've been reading about is how there's a lot of nfl players who are going out of their way to when they end their lives not do it with something that damages their brain so that they'll be There'll be autopsies because there's this, yeah. There's a, it's like a, that's a, it's a weird little movement, right? It's like, hey, if you, if you take yourself out, make sure you, you do it in a way that they'll learn more about this terrible condition that, uh, is messing with so many people. And, uh, anyway, I don't know if that's as weird as a way as that is to start, right? I don't know if that's ringing any bells with you.
2: (laughs) I, I I have not heard of that, but that's, uh, uh, interesting. I mean, they're definitely doing autopsies on, on um, athletes' brains. I mean, I think it was boxers that they started with and, and definitely football players. So um, yeah, yeah but, but I haven't heard of, heard of that. That's interesting.
1: Are we still in a place where the only way you can diagnose CTE is post-mortem?
2: As far as I know.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. As far yeah. as I know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Really? Yeah, so it's yeah. all after the fact. Oh my god! Yeah.
1: So there's this that's, there's that's this nice. constant discussion about people who there will be um, people who have lots of difficulty in midlife, and what they're trying to figure out is is this because I need you know do I need to go to a counselor for my anger or is it that I, maybe it's some sort of physical thing? The problem is you can't be diagnosed with it uh, until it you know it, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, so you're really just paying it forward, right? You're, you're just trying to figure out, all right, if, um, if I do have it and somebody does an autopsy on me and I donate that to science and hopefully they'll figure this out and in the future people won't have this problem, but it's just, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know of any other, I don't know of any other syndrome that operates that way. Maybe there is, but I don't know what it is.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting problem, isn't it? That, uh, it, it, and it's one of those things too, where it's it's we're thinking about CTE and um, as a potential diagnosis and how we can maybe diagnose it while somebody's still alive. Um, yeah. But there's kind of questions whether that gets in the way of other diagnoses, like maybe it is not CTE and it is you know it is something else like depression or it's dementia or it's ADHD, and um, so we don't want to misattribute it to CTE when it is in fact something else going on. So yeah, it's a really interesting kind of conundrum that's going on.
1: Well, absolutely. Well, what got you interested in it, Ryan? Yeah, I think it
2: was just the, the clinical aspect. So I practice as a chiropractor and, um, I see a handful of people coming with concussions, uh, focusing on rehabilitation, uh, after the injury and, um, the kind of curious why people experience longer symptoms than others after seemingly the same injury event, Um, and that led me to an interest in in sleep as maybe a contributing factor and then led me to start a PhD in that. But, uh, yeah, I think it was just experience with patients that got me into it. Right,
0: because it's so mysterious. It's interesting, um, yeah, we... um, I have so many questions because actually we, we raised our kids in Portland, Oregon before moving back to Sydney and that's where I met Chris. That's when the really the downslide of my life happened. I oh, made a disaster, but I'm getting over that. But, but, but my second son, who's now 17, he has had 10 concussions. So he had 10 concussions and don't call child services. It wasn't oh, domestic yeah, right. violence, yeah. but it was 10 different, like Mount Hood skiing. Uh, playing on a soccer field in northwest portland like it was all individualized but so we've gotten very across um the treatment and recognizing Ryan, what you're seeing which is like it's it's really insane like getting him off a device and no devices for x number of weeks and what have you i'm just curious to know is there any research he's just finished his um sat's and he's going up to university so cognitive function looks pretty good uh should i be worried about what happens in the next 15 20 years for this kid is there any research or should I just stop hitting him? Is that the, is that the point?
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely do that. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. It must be different laws in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: What? Um, yeah It's. I, I think a lot of people are looking into this is to what um, the threshold is, I guess, for concussions, for increasing your risk for you know a neurodegenerative problem down the road or... Um, Not even just concussions, maybe sub concussive events. So, um, you know, maybe getting, doing too many headers in soccer, let's say, or, um, you know, if you're playing ice hockey and your head is hitting the boards, but you're not diagnosed with a concussion, those types of things. And uh, what the threshold is for those. Yeah.
1: I didn't, Ryan, I didn't even know that that was a thing. So, potentially, if you've got enough events where, like, you play soccer, you love headers. You you think that's your skill, so you work on your headers all the time. You never have a an event that's technically diagnosed as concussion, but you think that there there's some study that is trying to figure out if that has a correlation with any trouble. Is what I'm hearing. Definitely, yeah.
2: yeah. Lots of lots of studies going on right now um, that are using um, accelerometers and putting it into a helmet or a mouth guard or or somewhere else and measuring. You know the accelerations over a season and they're doing pre-season testing and post-season testing and seeing if there's a difference at the end of a season after, um, so much head, uh, so many head impacts and, um, this kind of thing. So definitely people are looking into it.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. It, it's a, So I was at the women's rugby world cup in September last year with the Japanese team as an interpreter. And we, lo and behold, New Zealand researchers, we had the team where, mouth guards with accelerometers and watching on the on so got an iphone app and they can see that chris just got donked on the side of the head and you can it's incredible the act you can see this little mini skull you can see where he got hit he can see the flexion in his neck and they're building this massive database and i think one of the questions here is at some point do we need to modify The rules of the game uh, particularly uh, my my wife is Canadian and and her family is very much in Canadian sport in wrestling and in gymnastics years ago they were saying when you play is it soccer or some sport in Canada where they're not allowing any contact up until the age of 14 I can't remember what it is do you think that's going to happen hockey
1: uh,
0: uh, oh ice hockey yeah is that right so the rules modified I think
1: so yeah how would that even be possible Ryan I mean how can you be a proper Canadian and not have like a good (laughs) that doesn't even make sense (laughs) I'm sorry. That's just that's just wrong. I am approaching they this all wrong.
2: Terrible.
1: I'm sorry. That's um, true. Okay. Yeah,
2: it's true. I, I grew up. My very one of my first jobs was driving the Zamboni uh, for an, <laughs> oh, no. an ice rink. Actually, yes. yeah, so yeah, you gotta you
1: gotta do it. Yeah. All right, you did yeah. so? Yeah. I see. I mean, that's that's kind of in your blood, right? So. But it's it does make sense. I think there is um, there's a lot of uh, people who believe that football, American football, that is, uh, they're trying to make sure that people learn flag uh, yeah. before they learn tackle. That's kind of a thing. I, I think it might be the same method. I know I've certainly heard of soccer being taught without headers until later. Um, really, and no hard, yeah, no hard tackles either. I mean, tackling in soccer, right, is a like a foot slide yeah. thing, but. Still, you know those those can get pretty nasty. Uh, it's a it's a contact sport. I, I I don't know, Ryan. Is there is there anything that's organized about that that you've heard of or that you know about in terms of like, is that a research driven thing
2: um, to change like the rules of the game and and yeah that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely, there's there's some groups that are working on this, and so it's using you know some of this accelerometer information, for instance, to Um, see where on the field people are getting more head impacts or to see which positions, um, of a certain game are getting or team are getting more impacts or, um, to see at what developmental age people can handle head impacts maybe. Um, so definitely people are working on this and, and I think thinking a little bit more deeply about when we should be introducing certain skills into certain sports Mm -hmm. and, um, maybe at certain ages kids are just not ready for high impacts or can't control their body as they're you know flinging themselves into each other right um, and so yeah i think it's it's interesting that, and there's a few groups that are working on this in an organized way
1: so so i just have to i'm curious there is this thing that i've noticed when i talk to people about this issue um be, and i think i think i this might have even come up in the MMA episode when you talk to people about something in sport that is potentially very harmful, but something they really like. One of the things I noticed is that they say, oh, it can't be that bad. Or, you know, like there's this really quick, like, it, it's not necessarily rational, but it's it's a desire to keep the world that they want together. A, a couple of examples that have happened. My family is kind of a big baseball family. I played ball, my dad played ball, my grandpa played ball, my kids played ball. You get the idea. Anyway, one of the things that's happened in baseball the last 10, 20 years, is that they've kind of stripped out almost all the contact in the sport. So it used to be you could have a collision at the plate uh, with the catcher. People loved that stuff, right? I mean, it's there's this really intense moment where maybe the guy can knock the ball out of the catcher's hand even though he's dead at the plate. And that's really exciting. And it's the, Buster Posey gets destroyed in this terrible accident. I shouldn't call it an accident. In this terrible moment at the plate. And... I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, you know, do we, do the catchers really have to do that? <laughs> like, like, that just seems wrong. This is like the best player on this team. And suddenly he's out for a year because he's got to take it at, at the plate. Like, that's, and so after they implement this rule, which is the, the catcher's got to give room when the, when the, uh, when somebody's coming home so that they can get home and they can, of course, tag him, but they're, they're not supposed to block the plate. There's apparently one little situation where they can, but anyway. A huge amount of people were like that. That is just taken away so much fun from the game, and and then I would try and actually be the person who's like, okay, but do the catchers really have to be the punching bag for somebody? You know, like he, the guy's out pretty much, right? Like he, the throws beat him home, and and but I just a bunch of people were really uh, funny about it. In in your research, Ryan, have you found that there you have to deal with stuff like that where you've you have people coming at you like you're going to ruin my sport. Uh, yeah, are you the are you the guy who kills the fun for all of the people who like <laughs> violence in their sport? Uh,
2: yeah, maybe. Um, I mean i I haven't been <laughs> i I haven't been involved in this quite as much from my side of the research, but I, mm-hmm. I definitely hear it. Like I, um, you know, there's questions about uh, which part of this sport is part of the culture of sport, and if you can change that culture and um there's people that are thinking how you would change the culture like in involving athletes in the discussions and in rule changes and this sort of thing so um yeah there's definitely pushback from a lot of different groups for changing the game maybe too much that the changes it's it's not the game anymore um uh, but i haven't experienced it from from my research <laughs> directly,
0: it's interesting though. We talked about this before, and why we had the MMA guy on was had the gladiatorial nature of sport these days. It's sort of it's sort of terrifying. It's like it's like Roman times. I, I wanted to turn our attention more to your research around the role of sleep because I think even non-concussed people, and I know some people argue that I'm concussed most of the time, but um, there's a lot of research about the value of sleep and as type A. People, it's like I'm going to work a 15-hour day, and sleep's like this annoyance. And in in recent times, you've got Apple watches and apps and stuff that measure quality of sleep, and we learn things like I think for every hour of sleep before midnight's worth twice as much as after midnight, or something. I'm not sure. But where you're heading, Ryan, with your research? Now you're early in, but you see there could be an interesting role for sleep in terms of a concussion recovery. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So approaching it kind of from two directions. One is because a concussion is an injury to the brain and there are sleep centers within the brain, how does a concussion maybe result in uh, injury to those sleep centers that now results in a sleep disturbance? That's kind of one direction. The other direction is um, if someone has a sleep disturbance after a concussion, how does that impact their recovery profile or timeline? Um, For instance one function has of of sleep has been, um, or one proposed function is, um, detoxification of the brain. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
2: so maybe this is something that links concussions or repeated concussions to the CTE concept that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, if someone has disturbed, disturbed sleep, I mean, that's all, um, hypothetical, but it's an interesting kind of question. So, How does someone's if someone has disturbed sleep after a concussion? How does that influence their recovery? um, Is is the approach?
1: Wow. So it seems like there's a lot. Well, as you were saying that, one, I thought, well, that's fascinating because I I think your point, Jason, Jason's description is really interesting because I definitely subscribed to the uh, "I'll sleep when I'm dead" uh, theory up until. About eh, five, 10 years ago, when my brother came to me and he said, I've been reading all this stuff on sleep and we're just wrong. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, it's really important, actually. And they've got great hard data on it now. And, <clears throat> and, you know, I think even my reaction was kind of like, oh, come on, you know, ah, come on. Like, I, so then I sort of, I read a course about it myself and then I realized I had to just lighten up and, and, and try and learn something. and it is helpful that we've got these amazing devices that tell us when we're in how if we're getting enough deep sleep and REM sleep. But what I was thinking when you were talking about this, Ryan was that isn't there a chicken and an egg problem here? I mean, one of the things you've got is okay, let's say somebody gets damaged you your subject might be a terrible sleeper in the first place. Um, now what about the sleep being a part of the recovery? So now, what if what if because I damaged my brain, I'm damaging the ability to recover from the right? I mean, there's all that going on to me. It's it. How do you? Um, by the way, this is always in science. For me, I'm always fascinated by how do you deal with all of these multiple factors influencing, and how do you isolate them? Uh, it, it, I mean, sorry, that's a nasty question, but I got to throw it at you. I mean, uh,
2: it's a great, it's it's a great question. Yeah, I. So one way is a is, uh, longitudinal study. So you try to get their sleep baseline before a head injury. And so then you have to pick a population that you know is at risk of head injuries. So ice yeah. hockey, rugby, wrestling, so on. Measure their sleep before the season. Hope, but also don't hope that they get concussions during the season. Right, right. So that you can measure their sleep after the season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, then you can compare the two, right? You can compare before concussion, after concussion. Then, mm. you know, then we can um, try to uh, determine how much the concussion itself has played a role in changing their sleep.
1: Oh, my God. Um, the
2: other way to do it is to, you know, you have someone with a concussion injury. Maybe we pick a different injury, like uh, ankle injuries. So um, theoretically, they go through similar pain experiences Post injury experiences, but now we can say this one is due to an injury to the brain. This one's due to an injury to somewhere else other than the brain, and compare their sleep experiences after that. So we try to do things like that to control for those those factors.
1: Wow! You, by the way, what's going through my head is I did a master's thesis on, and I had to use high school students to do it. I was, and I had to go through the human factors committee. And, yeah, yeah, the you ethics. Know, yeah and I did okay with it because I'm just I was just testing critical thinking abilities with like different different sales pitches basically different educational elements um to try and teach critical thinking skills your human factors committee has got to be a drag i mean what are you gonna do well I'm gonna go see if people get concussions or not i I hope they don't get them but kind of I, I kind of do actually but like not <laughs> not too bad but uh, I mean that's that's it's not like you're working on uh it's interesting. It's like you're skipping over rats and mice and, and going right to the real deal, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Is this easier because you're at a university where you can, you know, you can go to athletes and say, hey, can I put this thing in your helmet or what?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, luckily, I'm in a, a, a great lab where they're already doing this, where they, they're putting accelerometers into um, athletes' um, mouth guards, and they're already kind um, you know, assessing head impacts throughout a season. So um, wow. they've already had this going on. Which, which sports yeah, are, d- you, are you tracking? Um, the lab has looked at soccer and ice hockey, and we're now starting with
0: rugby as well. Yeah, oh, that right. makes sense. Yeah. Statistically, is one of those sports like off the charts from incidences of concussion, or is it really hard to generalize? Yeah,
2: um, it's tricky. It's, it's different from season to season. And then between teams. And so, um, like, I, th- I can't remember the numbers, but you know, you get anywhere between one to six concussions in a season, let's say. But okay. it'll change from, from year to year. And between teams, there's a little bit of variability. But definitely, rugby, ice hockey um, are pretty comparable. Wrestling, I think, is up there as well, but we're not looking at wrestling. Got it. Rugby. Yeah.
0: And is there anything about, So uh, said it's like, um, I, my sport's rugby, so is there a much higher incidence of concussion in younger age groups versus professional rugby players, or is that the, you know the data?
2: I'm sure the data is out there. I don't know actually, off the top right. of my head. Right. Um, right. It also depends on. Um, uh, exposure hours it's called so like uh, how right. many hours you're on the field exposed for, like you know in hockey you're spending some of your time on the bench versus on the right. ice uh, so that got can it. change things um, got it. and then it's practice versus game if you're mm. allowing contact in a practice or not that'll change things um, so there's a few variables that change things but uh,
0: yeah got it Got it. So back in the '80s, when mums were really worried to let their Australian kids play rugby, they said, "Well, little Johnny's going to play soccer because that's so much safer." You can't really say that. Know, headers just know. seem like a con- Don't headers seem like a concussion factory? And then you got to learn how to do the whole flailing. Like, oh my God! Someone hit my ankle. <laughs> that second skill's hard. Yeah, that, is, that's true, though, right? Yeah. That's, we that's before, only like, if you're <laughs> Italian, Jason. It's only. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, <laughs> The, but the heading is a big issue, right?
2: Yeah, heading seems to be an issue, especially for the, the, those uh, subconcussive head impacts, and then um, again, some of those longer kicks. So you know when the goalie kicks the ball and kind of launches it halfway down the field, and, uh, and then you're heading those ones, um, you're, you're experiencing a higher head impact than if you know someone's doing a short throw-in kind of thing. So
1: yeah. can I just say, as someone who played soccer, one of the things that's so weird about headers. Is that once you learn to do them well, they really don't feel like that much. I mean, which I think oh, is maybe yeah. part of the problem. Like, yeah. I, even I was surprised as a younger person once I got good at putting it where you're supposed to put it. Yeah, um, it really feels like oh, this is fun. That doesn't hurt, you know. And it, I just can't imagine. I mean, but on the other hand, like now that we know what we know, there's just there's some inherent problem with something whacking your head like that, right? I mean, that just doesn't seem like that's good um if the brain moves up against the cranium at all that's that's a little risky, right? I mean, Ryan, I'm sure you've looked at the physiology of this. I don't know i is there how much padding do we have on the inside of this? I don't even know <laughs> mm. um,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, some of the studies people have done have, have looked at um, the direction that the head moves. So, for instance, if the head is kind of being worked okay. directly backwards forwards, um, that maybe influences the brain differently than if it's going directly side to side, and that's different than if the brain is, or the, if the head is rotating. Um, oh wow! And so, wow. The, the rotational fascinating kind of uh, movement is maybe worse for the brain because it's kind of twisting like a classic kind of metaphor is a plate with with jello on top if you just kind of move it forwards backwards or side to side versus if you rotate it that rotational force causes maybe a deeper brain strain um so people are looking into into those things to see if it makes a difference yes and then to your point if you know if you have someone who doesn't know how to do a header maybe their head's slightly turned or maybe their neck strength isn't not as good, and the ball hits off to the side, and their head rotates instead of staying straight um maybe that plays a role wow,
1: that's, that's cool. fascinating. I had no idea that that was um that, that there was that much of a distinction um i that couldn't help you know I'm thinking well jason were your were your boy um was his was any of that rugby or was it all like 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 thrill seeking oh. sports
0: one was rugby. And, and it was one of the last ones. And it was interesting because we, we had heard that the more, the, the more, the more. When you get one, oh. if you get a second one, you're much more susceptible. And um, we were kind of surprised that the um, the nurse at the school was not taking it super seriously. And we were the ones that kind of stepped in and said, yeah, he, he's probably got to come home now. Um, but it was, it, was, it was literally 10 different activities. Like, it was so weird. Huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's now... He's fine. He hasn't had them for years now, but, uh, you know, surfing. So he's a surf surfer and he's short sighted. So he doesn't wear glasses when he's surfing and he misjudged how deep the water was and he dived off his board and he hit his head. So now he surfs with a helmet. And what's interesting is that helmet, we thought there's no way he's going to want to wear a helmet, but it's, it's kind of a cool thing for him now. And it's, he kind of makes it a cool thing, but I think it makes him aware correctly that he's got to protect his head. Um,
1: Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, Ryan, uh, have you ever had a concussion?
2: <laughs> never, never. Really?
1: <laughs> thankfully. Uh, how about yeah. you, Jason? Oh, Jason, uh, you ever had one?
0: I, I think I might have one. had one at school once. Yeah, with, with rugby. But back, I think back I had then, run. nobody
1: cared. They told you to get no. back up and get back in the game.
0: You know what? You can't see this. I broke my nose once one way one week playing rugby and broke it again the other way. So, I mean, it's nearly straight. And my dad, who was a doctor at the time, when I broke it one way, he said, wait till the end of the season and we'll straighten that thing up and then the next the next week I'm like Ta da
1: I'm pretty oh, sure I was awesome.
0: concussed I was, had to be concussed in there somewhere.
1: That's <laughs> hilarious. So hey Ryan, we ask uh, our guests at the at the end here, we, we, is there anything holy cow, there's a dog. Uh yeah, yeah, sorry we right. ask we No, it's okay. We we love dogs in this show. Uh, We ask people if they have any myths to debunk. So is there anything about concussions or your work or heck anything where you're thinking, you know, people ought to know that this is commonly believed, but it's just not true? Cool.
2: Yeah. I, I, there's there's probably a few in the concussion world. Yeah. One, I think is, uh, I'm not sure how much this is thought still, but uh, that you need to lose consciousness to have a concussion. Uh, that's,
0: not true. that's a really yeah, good one. A, that is a great <laughs> one. People use- <laughs>
2: Come on, you're
1: fine. (laughs) Yeah, can I imagine? Uh, I didn't even have to use smelling salts on you. You're fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. You get. Yeah, it sounds Uh, like you have another one loaded up, though. You have another one right there. I've.
2: Yeah, I got a couple. Uh, Okay. Two. Two is people think that you have to hit your head to have a concussion, and that's not true. It's if you get enough of a of a whiplash or enough of kind of a whiplash rotation that can cause concussion too. So it doesn't okay. have to be a direct hit to the head. Um, okay. So you could, you could hit
1: the, you could hit the airbag in the car really hard and that might still do it. Yeah. Like a you're car hitting your
2: body and your head moves rapidly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then maybe more specific to my research, there's this myth out there that uh, you shouldn't wake people up. You shouldn't let people sleep for too long if they have a concussion. Oh yeah. Uh, we need to oh, wake yeah. them up yeah. every two I, hours. I, I thought that. Yeah. yeah and no you can you can let people sleep yeah
0: will <laughs> <laughs> fall that, asleep that's forever what we, that's what we <laughs> yeah <did>. yeah exactly <laughs> that's what oh, we not did yeah, i don't remember that it was so, it yeah. was amazing oh, we would always be like because we had this thing of like he get concussed he falls into a deep sleep then i don't know he throws up and dies kurt, kurt Cobain style like like it was really yeah. i must have read that somewhere yeah. but that's not true at all let him sleep no no.
2: Yeah well, Honestly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well. You don't get
1: arthritis from cracking your knuckles either, Jason. It's just. Not, yeah. No. Oh. No. You Mom. don't. You really <laughs> don't. Somebody <laughs> made that, that up. All right. Thanks. Thanks That's awesome, Dominic. Ryan. Well, hey. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, look, Ryan is great having you on. Uh, great luck to you in your very important research. Yeah. Good luck with the PhD. That's great. Yeah. When's the? When is your PhD? Uh, you know what, what what's your timeline for it i want to see if you're going to beat jason he's been taking forever <laughs> are we going to race um no we're not going to race because only, only if you're wearing that's accelerometers
0: right. Right. in your <laughs> yeah. in your mouth yeah. yeah right uh, uh, I, uh
2: that's a good question maybe four years okay
0: long, more, uh, all right all right. all
1: right you'll yeah. still beat jason so <laughs>
0: so unfair Ryan it's been great having this conversation thank you we really appreciate it
1: yeah thanks guys we really appreciate it we, we will uh, we look forward to uh, watching your research
0: thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham catch you next time